0: Hello everyone and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live. This is Ron Crawford coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. And it is a great great privilege to be able to share the word of the Lord together among his saints. And I specially greet my own dear congregation here in Dallas and as well, all of our friends and family of the saints that are positioned by the Lord in places across this great country of ours and the other countries of the world. What an amazing thing God has done. What, what an amazing network orchestrated by God. And um, I just can't give thanks to the Lord enough for His ways, they're past finding out, the scripture says. There's a way that seems right to us. The end thereof is destruction, but God's ways are the best. And they are miraculous. And I, uh, with great excitement, come to you today to share this teaching, which is fresh, fresh from the Lord. And in fact, uh, today... We have a teaching outline, but I readily admit that it is initial findings of a treasure trove of understanding from the Lord. I know that here in Texas and from my own uh, understanding of what happened in Pennsylvania when the first oil geyser hit in Titusville happened a lot here in Texas and in Oklahoma spindle top was one where from under the earth there's a sudden release of crude oil propelled by the natural gases that are found in in the earth and it just kind of sprays sprays up that's what i feel um about this understanding that God is giving us today. And so there is a teaching sheet available for you. The title of this is Affections. Uh, I have to tell you that the way God brought this to my understanding was as a part of uh, what he shared yesterday on uh, Saints Radio. And at that time, Monica said that the Lord had been speaking to her about a scripture in Colossians where it says we set our affections on things above. And at that time, we talked for a couple of minutes about uh, the understanding of what affections are. And from a general standpoint, it was absolutely correct. It is that froneo really indicates the things that we gain and a uh, uh, an affinity toward and we pursue them and we have to make sure that our natural proclivities and the things that we passionately seek after are things that God wants and we we should be continually dying or causing um sacrificing on the on the altar of the Lord those areas where our natural or earthly pursuits would cause us to careen off keep them in check and um, only focus on the driving priority of what God wants that is true everything about that is true but last night and this morning early, I was contemplating what we would talk about here today, and I was thinking about a continuation of the discussion concerning resurrection power, which is still an amazing lead from the Spirit, and empowerment from God, but I took a closer look at what I believe was the directive of the Spirit at that verse in Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. And here we read it. It's the first scripture there at the top of your teaching sheet, but it's Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Now, the first thing we talk about here is that the, the issue of, of risen here is not anastasis or any of its derivatives. It's agero. And this word speaks of the life that results from resurrection and this word garrow is used to describe someone that gains an initiative and begins to function and it's used in a, no, a number of different parameters but um, this is not risen with Christ is not the, the, the regular term translated as resurrection it is a, a descriptive term of life-giving. Now be that, be that as it may, if you are moving in the life of, of Christ, you need to seek things which are above because Christ is at the right hand of the Father. All of those wonderful things were ensured by the resurrection. Remember our study from one week ago And also from Sunday. But then it says, set your affection. Now, as I was studying this, this morning, I was stunned by where this word came from in the Greek mentality. And once again, this this word was used by the playwrights, by those who believed in other gods. It was used to to describe uh, the place within man, woman, of mankind, where there is a connection with something beyond this earth. And it is the hidden place within. And it was often used to describe the area of our body, the diaphragm. Um, it, it's the core of the, of the body and of the existence. And for, for them, in this place, divine or spiritual interaction comes... And it provides inspiration, artistic expression, things beyond the natural. It was also used at times to describe the activities of an insane person. And even though I didn't find an instance of this, I would think that it would have also been used to describe somebody who was under the influence of a, a spirit but I I didn't find that. But then again, this started coming early this morning, and it was like a fire hydrant blowing out water. And I was was both inspired and illuminated and uh, really overwhelmed. So I tried to grab as much of it because I knew we needed to come and share this today. It will be further developed. But just because i didn't find that, or an instance of that in in um, the literatures that formed hundreds of years of Greek thought uh, it it seems to make sense that it would be this way because it was about more uh, the idea of a a supernatural kind of inspiration, something beyond the mind, something beyond um, beyond our proclivities as people. Now this is an amazing word because, specifically because of where it was used to describe in the body, the diaphragm. I remember when I took voice training for a while. I had to take it because I had a minor in music. and Even though I had sung all of my life in a number of different categories, I, I had to take this class. And I had this teacher who was very nice, she was from Mississippi and she had an accent that you needed a knife to cut. I mean it was so thick. And she would she would have me sing things and she would just she would pop me in the stomach. <laughs> you have to tighten your diaphragm, you have to tighten your diaphragm. She'd say that kind of thing. You need to let the strength... Let it be strong. Let it flow from there, not from your throat. not from. And she would go on and on. And I, I felt like, man, I feel like I'm Sonny Liston or Muhammad Ali is my instructor here. Of course, she was all of five foot three. Uh, so I wasn't intimidated by, by that. But, you know, I, it was there that I learned and I knew this from athletics that this core... Area was really the heart of our our balance and our strength, and you know we even say things like our core belief, um, and and it lines up with the studies that we've done in the Old Testament about the Ma'a, and it it really the Greek mentality of of the root meaning of this word really in so many ways describes the Ma'a or what the scripture says in the Old Testament of the bowels. And we've studied about that. We're not going there today because we have a lot to cover in the New Testament. But um, that, that core place, which I believe to be the heart of the Spirit of God within us, it is the location which most readily uh personifies where the Spirit of God is in us it's it's the the core, it's the central place of the spirit. Uh, and it's where the belt of truth would be. it's where our creativity would be. it's you know, even in, in the the the, uh, the Old Testament it, it's described as the bowels, the intestines, so that that area there, that core area. Uh, in the Old Testament, that's the ma'a where the burden or the insight or the connectivity with God takes place. And the Greeks had the same mindset and they used that to describe uh, they they used this word to describe that at its root, Phroneo. So what we said yesterday and what you may find in your in your commentaries, Um, Is that this is the place of the affections, it's the place where you determine what you're going to go after, it's it's where you determine where your direction is going to be, your inspiration, those things are all true, but they are really describing the leaf of the tree. What we're talking about here is the root system. And that's really what is indicated by this word and what I believe was what the writers of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, why they chose this word to describe things. Because with the Greeks, philosophers, they had a lot of words that talked about thoughts and logismos and you know all kinds of other uh, descriptives of mindsets but to use this word knowing that this is what this word meant in the people who formed the word it's it's very fascinating so the scripture says that we need to make sure that that place is connected with things above, not on the mindsets of the earth. You have to be dead, for you are dead, but your life is crypto with Christ in God. The crypto is that hidden place. We've talked about that and studied about that it's it's um it's what in, in the the writings of the corinthians he paul said somebody comes in you prophesy to the crypto the secret things uh, and again this is an extensive study that we've done in the past but i just think that this collection of words that paul uses he says you know you're moving in the you're alive in christ and You're alive since his victory at the resurrection, where he is now at the right hand of the Father. So you need to make sure that you are letting this measure of this deep place in him, which is born again. You know, in the Old Testament, the ma'ah was, to, to some degree, it was functional, but it was limited. It's that, you know, every person has the deposit of the Spirit which you give up when you die just as jesus did he gave up the ghost and that is a scriptural term and that area is either it's it's how people have life on earth but it becomes born again in spirit to discover those hidden things that god spirit and truth those hidden things truth is something that was hidden that is no longer hidden uh, we we uh, we function in that way before God when we're born again, or we should. And so, and and your identity, the hidden identity of God in you, which is a continual uh, revelation, as we seek Him. Uh, that seeks this. That, that partners with the things that God is wanting to reveal and inspire us to understand and to do. So you see this and it, it's wonderful um, but we set our affection on things above literally we set this core place the Ma'a as it were where the inspiration of God comes where we receive his truth where it's the heart of divine revelation. We, we set that. And set your affection is all the same word. Some of you are looking. Set is this word. Uh, but we have to recognize that that is what's going on. That area, uh, the, the heart, the ma'a, that, that, that area, the spiritual base. is is what is born again and we need to make sure we align that and its power and its uh, its meaning uh, with what God is wanting to do from his right hand. So let's look at a couple of places where this word is used and some of the derivatives because to me this is one of the most exciting things God has ever shown us. It answers a lot of questions for what God is doing now, how the enemy is uh, trying to move on the earth, um, what we need to do in spiritual warfare, how we need to treasure the gifts God has given us, I mean, it's, it's amazing. This carefully chosen word with its inherent meaning is such a treasure from God. Now, the first thing we look at is that Jesus did this. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 7. Let this... Froneo be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. What a glorious! The Lord is so good. What a magnificent thing Jesus did for us. In in essence, he's saying to us here that this thing that we've been talking about is what Jesus did. And look at the description based upon the definition of this word because this word colors the words that are following. He was God. He did not have any problem functioning in the full capacity of God. He he was fully God, equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation and decided to become a servant. This is interesting, isn't it? because in in light of what we what we see here, um, we really submit this place um, in us to God so that we can serve him in whatever he tells us, whatever he shares um, and and this is what, Jesus did and you know that that word for translated as reputation means that you make yourself void you you make yourself of no effect you empty Uh, you cause a thing to become hollow it has it really uh, it can be used to describe the opinion of somebody else for you. But as it, it, at its heart, it means to look as if you've got nothing. So, doesn't that describe what we want when we come before God and, and say, I am your servant. I am your son. I want you to speak to me and through me. I'm not coming to you to preach at you or to amaze you with my intellectual prowess which is nothing before God. But I'm going to open myself to this place, the center of my being where your spirit is, where I've been born again. I'm going to want to receive your truth and to do that I'm going to become empty. No reputation, hollow, void, I recognize that I am nothing and I have to lay down all of the other things that I think I know and receive from you. What beauty there is there. And he demonstrated the likeness of man. He patterned what we are supposed to do. Now, how did he do that? Well, you have lots of verses. He was praying continually. He came to do the will of his Father. He didn't come to do his own will. Uh, he, uh, If you see me, you've seen the Father. Whatever I see my Father do, I do. That is all saying, I am nothing. I am only reflecting what he is revealing to me. And so I think this is this is a very important insight. Now Paul also said in 1 Corinthians 13:11 uh that this is what we should do as we become mature. When I was a child I spoke as a child. I froneo as a child and I subsequently thought as a child. But when I came became a man I put away childish things here Paul is saying that you know what does a kid do I mean kids are all over the map I mean I I saw this in my own children but I spend more peripheral that's not a good word I spend more time with my grandkids because you don't have the burden of being a parent you don't have the burden of being responsible for instructing them it's just a different relationship, but I I see glimmers of their giftings in my granddaughters. I see sparks of divine inspiration, and I, but I see them just as kids, just being kids, and you want them to be that. Um, they can do something or display some kind of uh, of a of a gifting that is just astounding and I'm not giving grandparents speak I'm saying that or this was from God and then the next thing they're doing is some silly thing they don't understand that those places of divine inspiration should be cherished and developed and this is what Paul is saying Um, so he's he's characterizing people who don't take full advantage of this walk and this mindset as being childish or immature. I don't want to be that way. Now, friend is the root of freneo and it's only used once in one passage in Scripture. And it's 1 Corinthians 14, verses 20-22. through 22. And here Paul says in the next chapter, in the very next chapter, Chapter 14. Brethren, be not children in friend. However, in malice be children. But in friend be men. In friend be men. In friend be mature. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. And yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Wherefore tongues are a sign for them, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serves not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. Now, what does this mean? Why is there this connection? Why do we need to be mature in this friend, the root of this uh, dynamic? And why did Paul connect it with tongues and, and then subsequently prophecy. Well, for this reason, what we've learned about speaking in other tongues and then diversities of tongues from the Scripture is that when you are praying in an unknown tongue, you're speaking directly to God. You're communicating with God. It also says that you are speaking mysteries or mysterion or the the evolution of how God is revealing his mysteries it says that we are building ourselves up we are utilizing the capacities God has put in us and 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 fully well not fully but we are demonstrating the architectural plan of what God has given to us, and we're edifying, we're being built up through this. And that whole process entails the fact that you're willing to submit your natural mind and your your ability to speak very persuasively and very eloquently, and you're speaking in these glossolalia or these uh, genoslalia uh, you're speaking in these languages that don't make sense which really does say to anybody, look this person is not operating according to the natural mind this person is not gaining uh, whatever it is they're doing for any natural benefit if there ever really was a sign that said this is in the natural hollow and this is a source of something that then is not from humanity, it's from the divine tongues and unknown tongues of that. So that is why it's a sign. It's a sign of what? Friend. It's a sign of friend which is just talked about right there it's not see we'd say this as pentecostals of old and it never really jived with me because we'd say when we speak in tongues we you know it stands out and people look at it and they say what is that what is this peter says this is that but but you know for me i i don't really want to advertise that you put a sign out for something that you want to advertise you know you want to say come here and eat like McDonald's used to say over 80 million served I mean I was I'm old enough to remember when they would put that number out as their numbers would grow and now they don't do it anymore because it's billions of people that are eating and it's just hard to keep up with it's almost like the national debt so um, but to me signs tongues as a sign as a Pentecostal we would preach it that way as a distinctive but it never really made any sense to me especially as a pastor and any pastor I don't if, if you're being honest you would think if somebody comes in visiting to my church especially some family who is a solid family who are good tithers and who really are looking for normalcy, not some idiocracy, not some crazy place. I hope nobody, Easter Sunday was always this way. I hope none of our our undisciplined people don't go off and spout because they believe they're gonna be assigned to these people by their extravagant demonstration. And, you know, we would think that. Pastors think that, whether they admit it from the pulpit or not, that's what they think. So to me, the, the concept of it being a sign in that connotation never made any sense. It would have been one thing if, if when you spoke in other tongues, it was like the sound of angels singing. And if anybody heard that, they would come and say, what's that I hear? Like, uh... Uh, like you know, the, oh, I won't go into illustrations, we got a lot to cover here. But that's not what our tongues do. I mean, there there are a lot of people who say, you know, these people are drunk. Even on Pentecost, there were people around that said they're they're drunk. That that's not the sign you want. Well, bless God, I'm just gonna be as I'll be more vile than this. You know, that's the pathway we went down to describe the sign. But that's not what the sign is. Yes, it is a distinctive. But the sign is connected to the friend, which means these people are not functioning in the natural. They are, they are pursuing God they're pursuing his mysteries they're pursuing understanding of his mysteries and they are saying that they're void of anything that would be attractive in themselves other than humility and obedience and the privilege of partnering with God in this way so it's a sign of their hollowness does that make sense to me this explains something wonderful it, it the explanation is there, but it really brings a fuller understanding and a wonder. So then it says that signs are tongues are a sign of this process but but then we have to take what God shows us out of that empty place and begin to prophesy it. and then that helps those that believe. The unbeliever is not going to want to walk in the revelation of the Lord. Gee whiz, I've had people in my church who didn't believe and they didn't want to walk in the revelation of the Lord even though it was backed up by umpteen verses. Does that make sense? So the key to this passage, this, this hallmark passage for Pentecostals is not that we stand out like a sore thumb when we speak in tongues, That's not the kind of sign that any pastor really wants. But the sign of tongues is friend. We are are moving in this friend, this emptiness, signifying that this place in the spirit. The Bible says that when we pray in tongues, our spirit prays. And it's a sign of that. It's a sign of the Spirit of God in you being born again. It's a sign of the Spirit of God praying this. It's a sign of you communicating with the Father, speaking His mysteries, and and it's a sign that you are saying to everybody, I want to be what God wants, and I am setting my froneo on what's going on at the right hand of the throne. Isn't that beautiful? And so then that's why... Prophecy comes, the understanding of what we die to and what we proclaim and what we understand uh, from a from a building doctrinal revelatory process and that benefits the believer. Wow. But to understand that I keep I need to find another word, to to grasp the meaning of of what Paul is saying in here but we move in friend in maturity and then we speak in other tongues um, and um, this is not going to be received by everybody yet for all that they will for all that will they not hear me tongues are a sign of a sign of what a friend That's what it's a sign of. That's how God's speaking. And then for the believer who is moving in this process, you want to establish a prophetic identity. I think that's beautiful. And as a classic Pentecostal from my youth, trained in the bastion of the Queen City of the Ozarks, both in college and in seminary, I readily and freely admit that what God is showing us today causes me to understand this scripture in a way that I have never seen before, and I am so grateful for that. Aren't you? In your own life? Let's keep looking. Now, Paul kept talking, the Apostle Paul kept talking about how that he needed to go to Rome. And uh, he needed to 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 testify to Caesar, and Jesus even appeared to him and said, I don't mean to downplay this, but, you know, don't worry about all these crazies that are trying to kill you. You're going to testify in Rome. So when Paul comes to Rome, it's very interesting being in Rome. Um, The Catholics have glorified Peter, obviously, and they have all these fanciful tales about Peter and Paul being in Rome and battling against Simon the sorcerer. It's, it's Stan Lee of Marvel Comics couldn't have written it better. I mean, it's just, it's it's just crazy, crazy stories. But we went into uh Katie and I went into this place, which was one of the earliest churches, and it could have been a place where Paul, at least the people in the place, were people that Paul ministered to. Uh, but Paul finally ends up in Rome. And here in, in Acts 28, verses 16 through 24, When we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with the soldier that kept him. It came to pass that after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together. And when they were come together, he said to them, "Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, would have let me go, because there was no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was constrained to to appeal unto Caesar, not that I had ought to accuse my nation of. For this cause, therefore, have I, turn the page, called for you, to see you and to speak with you because that for the hope of Israel, I'm bound with this chain. Now, let's just talk about this. Everything Paul said was true, but note the way he says it. He was not being deceptive, but he recognized who he was talking to. He didn't say, Jesus appeared to me and told me I had to come and speak to Caesar. He didn't say any of that. He spoke the truth, but for the audience, in a way that set the stage for his audience. And this, this is something that we all need to see. It was not deceptive, but we need to let the Spirit guide us in what we say and how we approach people. So these people said unto him, we neither receive letters out of Judea concerning you, neither any of the brethren that came showed or spoke any harm of thee. But we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest, and there is our word phroneo. For as concerning this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. But when they appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening, and some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. I find it very interesting that the leaders of the Jewish community in Rome, and that being said, means something, because this was the heart of the world at that point of the civilized world, and if you were a Jew in that city, you were held to account in a way beyond anywhere else you lived, even Jerusalem. So these leaders say, we want to know what God has revealed to you in the depth of who you are. Isn't that interesting? That's what we wanted. That's what we want from you. And that's what they asked for specifically. Now after he talked about all these things, some believed, others did not. Boy, isn't isn't that the same that as we have um, that as we've experienced? And it goes back to the passage we just looked at where God says I wrote about the fact that I was going to speak in tongues through people, um, but there aren't going to be those there there are going to be many who don't receive this. so I think one of the things we need to understand is that the way God does this, what we've been talking about, is not going to be accepted by everybody. you just need to get your mindset for that in fact. In truth, there's not going to be a, a, a big percentage of people that are going to accept the truth. I mean, few, few there be that find it, the Bible says. Um, and, 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 and the scripture talks about so many things in that regard that even the parable of the seed, the sower, Jesus' batting average was almost down to the Mendoza line. He, he, out of those four types of environments, only one-fourth actually produced something that lasted. Look it up yourself. That's not a good batting average. But that's the way God does things. Now, when God reveals these things to us, those who receive and those who adapt this lifestyle need to be like-minded in it, Philippians 3, 15 16. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, or who have, who have pursued this maturity, this thing that encapsulate what God really wants, be thus minded. And if in anything you be otherwise minded, God will reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind. The same thing. Now, in the scripture, um, there's several instances of this word being used to tell everybody what God is sharing and the way he's doing it, you need to all step lively to it. And, you know, here's where the enemy tries to come in. A couple of years ago, there were three years ago it started, there were those who said, well, you know, I know what God's saying here, but we hear from God too. We, we, we're getting revelation. And, and he, he, Paul says it should be a shared revelation from God. This froneo should be something that we are in one accord about. And the only way it is added to or changed is through an apocalypsis type of revelation. And that comes in a time of transition. And that transition better be from God. We've had others in this moment of transition, this transfiguration, Who have decided they're going to march to other drummers and they would say, oh, you know, we're hearing from God too. We hear from God just as you do, Moses. And off they go. Not hollow, maybe hollow-headed, but we're going to get this revelation from this group, from this group. You know, instead of going after God, we're going to go after all these demonic doctrines and say it's God. How bizarre. But here Paul says, you better stay in line with what God's sharing from his word. And you better recognize that this is is a remnant thing. It's not going to be accepted by everybody, certainly not by the world, and God knows not by the enemy. We're going to see that more clearly here in the next couple of verses. But... um, you stay in the same mindset until God says it's time for another revelation of my overall plan. The apocalypse, the apocalypsis is the overall mystery of God. The mysterion are steps in that. We've studied this before. I apologize for you to those of you who are hearing this for the first time, but that is kind of like the hands on the clock. You know, You've got the hour and then you've got the minute. And then God changes the hour and then those minutes lead to another change. So Paul is saying, he doesn't say to reject or to get rid of the things that has been built on, but uh, uh, revelatorily, but, but when God transitions into a new phase or a new season, that's the only thing that would take you out or take you from this established mindset. Of revelation from God, and when that happens, you all enter it together, and you go forward, which is what's happening right now. Which is why I think God is just downloading these bombshell building upons. Whether it's how you minister in the glory, uh, you know, whether it's what is the power, what is the true measure of the power of the resurrection. And now here, what is this measure of New Testament understanding of the Ma'ah? Why did God save all this for this point? Well, it's him that's leading us. He is leading us. So, let's keep looking. Lots to go yet. We're in the fourth quarter here, time-wise. Um, probably in the seasons of the Lord, too. Flesh versus spirit, Romans 8, 5. For they that are after the flesh do froneo the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit. You know, this is um, one of the things that I didn't put on the sheet here because it should go without saying. But God warns against those that go against natural affections. And he uses that warning a number of times in the scripture, same word. And how the enemy gets people to go against the things that they were created as humans to be. And to then say that this is the way I'm created. Well, no, it's not. You've perverted the way you're created. And you're using the creativity that God gave you to do something other than what God ordained for you to be. Now, I'm not going to go. That's a whole lesson in itself, but it sure is appropriate for our world right now. Uh, The enemy is trying to destroy the Froneo place Of religion, of national identity, of who we are as humans. I mean, even the nonsense that CNN put out last week. I don't know if any of you saw it. And they stated this as a verifiable, certified, bonified medical understanding. They said that it is impossible for people to. be able to identify gender at birth. It's impossible. Well, that set off a maelstrom of Pinocchios. And, but that's the mindset of people. You know, We're we gonna go after what we want and it doesn't matter what y- you or anybody else thinks. So we have to mind the things of the Spirit. Our phreneo needs to be focused on God, not on the things of the flesh. I just, you can look at that for yourself. Now let's look at what Jesus said to Peter. Uh, When Jesus was saying, I need to go up to Jerusalem, I need to submit myself uh, for the cross, and this didn't sit well with Peter, and he rebuked the Lord. And at this point, Matthew 16, 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. You are an offense unto me, for you save or not, there it is, froneo, the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Here Jesus addresses Satan in regard to the froneo of his identity in God, of Jesus' identity in God. And I think that's very interesting because this was the place in Peter that the enemy targeted. And I suspect that this gives us an indication of how the enemy would try to target us, would try to target the very elect to hit that phroneo place, that ma'a place. And so what is... And it, it, it had to be irritating to Jesus. But he was not calling Peter possessed. He let's stick with what the Scripture really says here and let's learn from it. Get thee behind me. Now, this literally means to get under the yoke. It doesn't really mean get out of my sight. It doesn't say, get get, you know, my eyes are forward, you get behind me, I'm pressing on. That's nice, but that's really not what this is saying. It really means to get under the yoke or submit to what the yoke is or to submit to what the directive is, to submit to uh the uh the commandment that we're following to lead or to to stay under. And this this word is used, get thee behind me, to to speak about. Um being under peace in scripture, to be under healing, to be under a command. This is what Jesus said to the centurion regarding his servant. You, you go now under the word that I've spoken about your servant. You, you get under that. It is what he said to the leper who was cleansed. Go your way, go your way, use that word, and show yourself to the priest he said that to the man that was lowered through the thatch of the roof. He said, Arise, take up thy bed, and go to your house. And he said it to the woman with the issue of blood after she'd been healed. Your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. Be uh, Go under this directive of restoration and be whole of thy plague. So what did Jesus say? He didn't, wasn't really saying, Get out of my face, Satan. Or not today, Satan. He said two things: You have attacked this froneo place in this man, who has been hearing from the Father, and who has been um, uh, who has been called to be a rock to these disciples. And you have come through this place, but I am rebuking you, and I'm saying. Satan, you have to submit to what God Almighty has commanded me to do and to be. You're not gonna get me to vary from this. Really, this was an attack through Peter at what Jesus was ministering from in the freneo of his life. And Jesus said, get thee behind me. In essence, I am going to stay under the yoke. This is the yoke of Christ. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. I'm going to fulfill what the Father has said for me to do, and this man who is with me is going to do that too. Satan is going to try to sift you as wheat, Peter, but I prayed for you. So the two operative words here is the froneo and what it means for what Jesus said. Was this statement really directed to Satan? Was Jesus telling Satan to get under the yoke? Well, uh, How many times over the millennia had God said that to Satan? Uh, That was a directive from the throne. Here is my word. Get under it and serve it. Yes, I think that's part of it. But I also think it was what Jesus was saying about himself. You're trying to attack through the freneo of this man, and you're trying to attack me and my freneo through it. And, you know, I'm staying under the yoke and I'm going to fulfill what I came here to do as a servant of my father. Isn't that wonderful? Now, I've had, I, I readily admit that I, a couple of years ago, when the enemy came against the froneo of this saints network, I was stunned. I, I, I was so overwhelmed by it. I, I've, I tried to describe it at the time like that movie. Some of you are going to say, well, I never saw that. Just stick with me here. There's a movie about William Wallace of Scotland fame, and he was fighting against the, Brit, the British uh, King Longshanks for the freedom of the Scots. And at one point, they were battle. They were fighting in the battle, and um, he f- discovered that the man who was supposed to be the real king of Scotland had betrayed him and had gone over to serve the British king. And the look on Mel Gibson's face as William Wallace when he understood that, that's the best way I can describe what I felt, because through the froneo of others being compromised, people that I had trusted, suddenly the enemy was working, and I thought, how effective have we been, really? I felt like I had failed them. I, 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 I never doubted God, but it just stunned me, and it lingered for months. I stopped writing, I kept preaching, I kept praying, it's not like I shut off, but it really had the effect, what good is what you've done really, manif- how, has it, how, how has it manifested itself? The things that, that we've all shared and understood now are, are being rejected, and not only are they being rejected, we're being told they don't want to hear them anymore, and that there are other things that are better than this, and we've missed the mark. Um, and you know, I'm not faulting anybody, but I, I see this scripture here, and it it ministers to me. This is the tactic Satan was trying to use against Jesus through his main disciple. And I think everybody would agree that Peter, James, and John were the big three. But out of them, Peter, oh, John loved him the most. Yes, but. Jesus said to Peter, you know, you are going to have to stabilize this group. So he says, when Peter says, no, you're not going up to Jerusalem. The freneo that you've received from the Father, we're not going to accept. We're not going to take this lying down. And Jesus turns and says, get under the yoke, or I'm under the yoke, Satan. It could be either way, and both ways work. You are an offense to me. I'm a uh, there is an there is an offense that's coming. I'm not being offended, but it's attacking me. But I am committing. I'm doubling down on my commitment to stay under the command, to stay under the directive from the Father. The place that you used to know. What a message in this! Here he confronts Satan and says, "This is what I'm doing." It's what, to, to a large angelic degree, you used to do. In fact, you used to be in charge of this, and I'm reminding you of that. I'm not buckling here. And you are not functioning on behalf of the froneo of God. Isn't that astounding? Wow. I'm, I'm blessed. It, it, you had to go through the to-do of this. To be able to teach it, Whew. let's just all take a breath. Whew. Now, Jesus used this word, or Ephron, to be without phroneo, to be without what God is wanting, to describe fools. Luke eleven forty. Luke twelve twenty. Paul used it in Romans 2.20, and it, it it really describes those who won't walk in God, and Jesus called them fools. He called them this. Now, the Old Testament says, fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The Bible also warns, don't call anybody a fool. We need to get the full counsel of Scripture. If Jesus is saying this is happening, and that's what's being translated, then that's what... It is, and in fact, Paul, the apostle, spoke about foolishness on his own benefit, and and he would say, he would say, I'm going to boast about you, or I'm going to talk about how my relationship is with you, and forgive my foolishness. I'm going to I'm going to stray from the froneo here for a moment, and I'm going to talk about you from my own belief, from my own love for you. I think that's very interesting, but Jesus says, there are those that are going after the things of this world, and they're fools, and, and the reason, the way they're going after the things of this world is by not getting in line with what God gave them spirit, uh, why God gave them spirit to begin with. This is just, what a, what a topic, and, and the, some of the best stuff is yet to come. We're past time, but we're going forward, friends. Send a word out to our network affiliates that we're going into overtime here. Um, this, this derivative, afrosine, uh, to be outside of the, uh, the Frone of God, is used in Mark 7, where verses 22 and 23, Jesus is listing a parade of sins. And I just listed from 22 to 23. There are more of them before this. Thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, afro All these evil things come from within and defile the man. So it would be said here... I, in the words of Jesus, very clearly, that this central place of phrone where we're supposed to be hollow and empty to receive from God, to receive the deep things, to communicate with God in unknown tongues through the Spirit, that in the world, this is the germination place of thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, And a whole score of others right before that, these are evil things. They come from within and they defile. Do you see this? How could you not see this? Now, the last thing is really, it's all been great. Obviously, we got to develop this further. But when Gabriel was talking to Zacharias about John the Baptist, who would be the friend of the bridegroom, who Jesus identified as a type of Elijah. And we know that what, what Gabriel's going to say here is a reference to the promise of the Elijahs and the Elishas in Malachi 4. So Luke 1.17, this is Gabriel, the one who stands in the presence of God at the right hand, the communicator, uh, the one who is the mighty man of Elohim. And he says he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the phronesis of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What is the angelic view about this Elijah-Elisha business? It says that those that will come to follow What Elijah is doing, those that will come into connection with the Father, those that will serve him as the Elishas, are going to stop being disobedient. There's a lot of young people today who are moving in disobedience, false doctrine, rebellion, the, the prince of the power of the air but some will come into this pathway of fronel with the righteous and they will join together to make ready a people prepared for the lord this do you see this this is the key to the elijah and the elishas this is our only message it's not by getting woke and protesting And allowing for all manner of sins that Jesus just we just saw him talk about that would germinate in this central place, but instead the Elishas are going to know the Father. They're going to partner with Elijah, and they are going to be moving in this phroneo, this phronesis, as righteous ones to make ready a people prepared for the Lord or for the plan of God. My, 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 my. See, wasn't it worth staying for the extra time? Those of you who have learned the marvel of listening to this on Spotify, you could have listened to it at double time or one and eighth speed, and you still owe me minutes left in this hour. But this is obviously something that God is giving to us in this day. And again, it's going to be developed, I'm, I'm going to develop, because it's revelatory. It answers so many things, from our identity as Pentecostals, to us serving God in the Ma'ah, to us uh, dealing in the, the wickedness the enemy is sowing in the children of disobedience, and to, to get ready for the Elishas and to not just get ready for the Elishas, but to be that as Elijah. Where, How was Elijah taken out? How was Moses taken out? Somehow the place of the Freneo, just as Satan tried with Peter and ultimately tried with Jesus, instead of being that selfless one bearing the message, both of them rose up and talked out of that place from immaturity, from, from wounding, from bitterness, and that's what took them out. So we as the Elijahs, preparing for the Elishas, the central thing to all of us is our devotion to God and our willingness to take the same mind as Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this froneo of the sons and the saints be the driving force. It is the sign to the unbeliever. Look, what these people are getting is not from some book. It's not down the party line of human doctrine. It's not from the Buddhist, the Taoist, the yes, the and, which is so foul in the progressive church. It is from that hollow place, that central place of the Ma'a, where God speaks and we partner with him in his mysteries. That's the key. And dear one, isn't that the thing God gave to us at the very beginning? Isn't that what he did in us? And we said, God's on us. I don't know how to explain it but there's this anomaly that's happening we as pentecostal people that same old unknown tongue we had now is like a river a torrent diversities of tongues and here it is and whoa here it comes we're explaining or god's spirit is taking us into the hidden things of his word and look he's drawing other people who have this same type of hunger and we're all walking to this same drumbeat This is the froneo. This is the mind of Christ, the mind of the anointed sons. And this is what we're walking in today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this revelation. It's your word. Thank you for letting us see it. Help us now to walk it and to be it. And I I pray a blessing over every one of our Saints Network family. I speak that they would be well, whole, and thriving in the things of the Spirit, that they'd be encouraged and built up, lifted up, stirred up. That that prophecy which comes from that hidden place through us speaking in these other tongues and interpreting, that prophecy would cause us to be part of the plan of God, build, lift, stir, that we would come into alignment come on get in place and instruct others and that we would be encouraged exhorted to rise as mighty men and women that's what build, lift stir means that's what we are help us and anyone who is joining us for the first time maybe you love jesus But you've never heard anything like this. It's not about me. Nothing that I've said here, as you well know, is coming out of some fanciful story or from some persuasive type of speech. It is straight out of the Word of God. You know this. It's what we've studied. I pray that you'll take the next steps and become what God wants you to be. It's time to stop playing around as Christians. It's time to stop sitting on the sideline waiting for the horn to blow and us be caught away. It's time for us to get in the game. It's time for us to get in the battle. It's time for us to, to, to be what God has called us to be and to serve as sons in the mind of Christ. So I bless you. I bless you. And I ask that you would seal these things, Father. Let us continue to grow in them. And I I must say, I am so appreciative and so thankful to you for, for leading us in this way. Thank you for helping me and for not letting me fall away. Help us all to continue to be strong and encourage one another and be that righteous armor on the right and the left. We need this in these days. But mostly we need you, and we need your word. So we seal all these things in the name of Jesus, and to all of them we say amen. Let it be as you desire at your right hand. Thanks for joining us today, or joining me, joining all these ones from the Saints Network who are listening. Until next time, God bless you. Goodbye.